Hi, my name is Paul and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, restoredtemecula.church, and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. All right, guys. <clears throat> uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church as the lead pastor. Uh, eldership with my wife, Ebony, and Herrick and Heather Berga. If we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you today. Uh, please, it'd be a wonderful treat for me. This morning, we are going to be continuing on in our series, going through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and we've entitled this series, The King and His Kingdom. And the, the whole point with this is that we have been investigating Jesus. I don't know if you know this, he is the king. We've been investigating Jesus and the kingdom of God, the kingdom that he came preaching about. When I say the kingdom of God, it's this, uh, the kingdom of heaven. Those two phrases are synonymous. And the premise for this series is that for whatever reason, we as kind of modern Western people, we tend to think of the kingdom of God as something that's out there. Something that you go to after you die. And, and, and that, you know, there's, there's some truth to that. But it's so much more than that. The kingdom of God is so much more than that. And a quote that we've been putting in front of you every single week uh, is from a guy, D.A. Carson. He's a really gifted Bible scholar. And he, he talks about the kingdom of God. And he says that the kingdom of God is more a reign than a realm. It's more a power than it is a place. And the reality is that the Bible, it teaches that the kingdom of God is a reality that we can experience now. Partly in the present and fully in the future when Jesus comes again to make all things new, to set all things right. We look around and things are not the way they're supposed to be because of sin and brokenness and death. And that the day is coming when God is, he's going to make all things new. New heavens, new earth. It's a beautiful thing. And just to kind of review, to bring you up to speed of where we are, uh, we are currently in the portion of Matthew's gospel known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is the most famous sermon of all time preached by the king of the universe, Jesus Christ. And here's the thing about the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about the kingdom of God. If you want to know, if you want to do a deep dive in what the kingdom of God is like, yes, Matthew's gospel, absolutely. But the Sermon on the Mount portion of Matthew's gospel is especially, especially rich, especially poignant if we want to investigate what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus chooses to begin this most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with what are known as the Beatitudes. This should be a refresher for most of you. And the Beatitudes, what they are, is it's a list of eight kingdom blessings. And each of these eight kingdom blessings are fairly shocking. Uh, at first glance, they don't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. But here's the thing. The wisdom and the truth contained in the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically in these Beatitudes, is arguably the most revolutionary teaching that has ever been given in the history of the world. So, today, today we're going to talk about this fifth Beatitude. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there will be words on the screen for you so that you can follow along, and you can ensure that I'm just not making something up as I go along, but this is actually taken from God's Word through the Scriptures. Um, I'm going to be in the Christian Standard Bible Translation. So if you don't have that one, it might be helpful to look up to the screen. 
But before I jump into God's word, I want to pray for our time. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this morning. I feel so much gratitude in my heart, God, like legitimately. I think so oftentimes I miss out. I'm just moving too fast through life, and I, I miss out on soaking up each moment and the blessings and the grace that you so freely give to us. And this is those moments I know Sundays can be a challenge, especially for young families. Just even getting out of the house seems impossible. But thank you. Thank you for moments when we get to be together in your presence. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us this morning. You point us to Jesus, his beauty, his glory, his goodness, his grace, his mercy. And Lord, help me not to do anything to get in the way of what you want to accomplish in each of us. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for being so kind to me. We love you so much. Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse, starting in verse 1. This is how Jesus is going to start the Sermon on the Mount. It says this, when he, the he there is Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them, saying, here comes the Sermon on the Mount, here comes the Beatitudes, The first beatitude, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And here's today's. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Okay. So here's what I want to do today, this morning. I, I want to kind of do two things. I want to talk about what this beatitude actually means. And then I also want to talk about what it teaches us about the kingdom of God. All right, let's jump in. What does this beatitude mean? Let's read it again. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I think for us to start, we have to define mercy. And I have a confession to make to you. I genuinely thought I understood mercy before I prepped this sermon. I'm a, I'm a pastor, you know, like I really should know about mercy. Guys, let's just talk about it. Okay, so track with me, participate with me. Based on your, your current understanding today, okay, really no wrong answers, how would you define mercy? Think about it in your mind right now. Based on your current understanding, don't be worried about giving the right answer or the wrong answer. It's like, where you're at today, how would you define mercy? Now, the New Testament, originally written in, in Greek, right? Matthew's gospel is no different. The Greek word for mercy is eleemon. Eleemon. And it means to this. It means to show leniency, compassion, or forgiveness, especially to someone who has offended you. So, so mercy is basically parenting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, I, I want to break this down some more, okay? Now, we talked about how the New Testament, you know, this originally written in Greek. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't deliver this sermon in Greek. 
Jesus would have spoke uh, in a different language. This was translated, the, 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 the passages that we have here in the New Testament, they're translated into Greek from the original Hebrew and Aramaic. Okay? And there's a depth in the Hebrew language, guys, that is spectacular. Uh, check this out. The Hebrew word for mercy is the word chased. I love that about Hebrew. You get to like hawk up loogies stuff. <laughs> like chased, that's what it is. This is a definition for you. Quote, the Hebrew word for mercy is chased. And it is an untranslatable word. It does not mean only to sympathize with a person in the popular sense of the term. It does not mean simply to feel sorry for someone in trouble. Chased, mercy, means the ability, get this, it means the ability to get right inside other people until we can see things with their eyes, think things with their minds, and feel things with their feelings. Unquote. Anybody ever do any online shopping? Raise your hand if you prefer online shopping versus in-person shopping. Uh, a good chunk of the room, okay? Uh, online shopping is hit or miss especially when it comes to shoes, okay? And here's the reason, is because for whatever reason, manufacturers decide that they're gonna list something as a size 12, and then when you order it and it comes to your house, it's like two sizes too small or it's way too big. I don't understand how at this modern era, we can't just put shoe sizes and they're like totally uniform. Uh, This has happened to me multiple times. I'm like, oh, cool, I found a deal online. I need a new pair of shoes. I order size 12, it comes, it's way too small or it's way too big, it doesn't fit. So I personally prefer buying shoes in person over online because I get to put them on. I get to see how they feel, right? Friends, mercy, in a sense, is putting on another person. It's putting on another person. Mercy, what it does, it, it, it goes beyond, like it goes, it goes a step beyond considering them Mercy's, it's getting inside of them. It's seeing the world through their eyes. It's, it's feeling things that they feel. This happens all the time with my wife, Ebony. Uh, she has this way of like entering into people's feelings. I can't tell you how many times we've been chatting with someone or whatever, and they'll you know, just share what's happening in their life uh, and w- typically, if it's something that's challenging or painful, I'll look over and Ebony's already crying and like just wanting to hug them. It's this, she literally enters into the, into the person's feelings with them. In a sense, she, she puts them on. You tracking with me? Talk to me this morning, yeah? Okay, great. Uh, many of us in the community, I can think of Cassie Logue, I think of Lisa, I think of several of you, same kind of thing. They, There's this like mercy gift happening here. Now, here's the thing. I think it's really important to note this as well when it comes to mercy. Mercy is not taking on another person's anxieties or fears. Okay, I'm gonna say that one more time. It's not taking on somebody's anxieties or fears. It's not like, oh, you know, they're anxious about something, so I'm gonna join them in their anxiety. Or or they're they're afraid of something, so I'm gonna join them in their fear. Remember, mercy is rooted in compassion. And compassion is different than copying. Compassion is different than copying. Actual 
biblical mercy, it's rare in our society. And you know what? This week, I became fully aware it is far too rare in me, friends. Like, this week was so convicting for me. Man, like, I just thought about how often I might consider someone, but I don't put them on. And it's not just the negative things. It hit me like a ton of bricks this week. So uh, I'm going to share this. I didn't ask your permission. I'm so sorry. I'll ask for forgiveness later. Ebony, check out her cool shades. Check out Ebony's cool shades, everybody. Rockstar. So I don't know if you know this, but the sun never sets when you're cool. Uh, No, uh, about two days ago, she had LASIK eye surgery. And here's the thing. She's had like really bad eyesight, borderline blindness, since she was a little girl, a young girl, I should say. And we've been praying about, uh, you know, this potentially, I mean, for like two decades, really. Like, it's been a long time of desiring this for her. And so uh, an opportunity came where we were able to get LASIK surgery two days ago for her. And I cannot tell you what the experience is like for me, first and foremost, to watch it. They literally put it on a screen for me to watch, which you can imagine is fairly graphic. Um, but I'm sitting there, guys, she, and I can see through the window, and I can see the TV screen, and like the up close of what the doctor's doing, and she's laying down on the table, and they do both of her eyes and the whole thing. And then she gets up off of the table, and she walks over to the side, the surgeon meets her over there, and then he like does a close-up, she looks into this thing, and he's like looking at her eyes to make sure everything's cool. And she gets up from the thing and she's already like weeping because she can see. It was this beautiful moment. I mean, the surgeon's crying. All the nurses are crying. Everyone's like, and I'm like holding back tears. I'm like, guys, it's been so long. Like, thank you so much. We talk about being people who seek the renewal of all things. Like every occupation matters. Every area of life matters. But I was thinking, I'm like, this is such a tangible example of the kingdom of God breaking in through someone's vocation things being made right the way that's supposed to be, right? In a, in a practical way that God's common grace through medicine. But I, the reason I share this is because it was just powerful moment of like, I was flooded with this reality of like, my woman, my lady has spent the vast majority of her life, if she doesn't have contacts or glasses, like it's dangerous, <laughs> like straight up, like it's, she can't see. And in a moment, in a moment, that's made right. The sheer joy and celebration in that. I put her on, if, if you will, I put her on in that moment and it was overwhelming to me. And I think the reason why most of the room was crying was because they did the same thing. You with me in this? It's not just the sad stuff. It's also the beautiful celebrations too. That's mercy, putting somebody on. This week was so convicting for me. How often do I practice mercy with other people? Um, that famous movie, Forrest Gump. If you've seen Forrest Gump, there's this famous scene. There's so many famous scenes in Forrest Gump. But there's this famous scene when Forrest Gump is a young boy still, and he's getting on the bus. He's getting on the bus, and he starts walking down the center aisle of the bus, and he's looking for a place to sit, right? You guys know where I'm going with this. He's looking for a place to sit, and all the kids start to like go like, like kind of like block it, or they put their book bag down, whatever, right? And then you hear, you know, the, can't sit here. And he's walking, can't sit here. 
seats taken. Like the, you guys remember the, the, that part of the movie? Man, far too many of us live our lives that way, don't we? We don't leave much space in our hearts and our minds for other people. If we're honest, it's because we're really consumed with ourselves. My thoughts, my feelings, me, me. And as a result, you can't sit here, seat's taken. You can't sit here, seat's taken. You can't sit here, seat's taken. The truth is many of us live our lives with ourselves at the center. We're the sun in our own solar system. And as a result, there just isn't much space for mercy, for biblical mercy, for chesed. Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to kind of fast forward into Matthew for just a split second here. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25, check out what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, in other words, if anybody wants to be my disciple, if anybody wants to be a Christian, if anybody wants the kingdom of God, let him prioritize himself. That's not what it says, huh? What does it say? Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Friends, Jesus is teaching something that couldn't be more opposite than what our culture teaches us. Like it's, it completely contradicts what your culture is trying to teach you. Jesus is saying that it's not prioritizing yourself that leads to the good life. Rather, it's prioritizing God and other people. The, the kingdom of God, it's upside down, man. It can feel so backwards because it's utterly different than the kingdom we so often live in, which is typically our own. And you know what's crazy? Like, you guys have most, the vast majority of you have probably heard, read this passage a hundred times. Like, and, and be, in light of that, how many of us actually believe that, like, the good life, like, living your best life, you know? How many of us actually believe that that's a result of denying yourself instead of prioritizing God and others? This is what Jesus is saying. Now, hear me. This does not mean you disregard yourself. Please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say here. This does not mean that you disregard yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't take care of yourself. You know, Jesus also said, love your neighbor as yourself. Like, there's this element of like, to be a disciple of Jesus, it requires that you have a love for yourself. You don't, it doesn't mean disregarding yourself. What he is saying is when you live with you at the center, you will not have space for mercy. You won't have space for others. And more importantly, you won't have space for God. Can't sit here. Seat's taken. 
And we all do it. We all do it. I do it. Mercy is putting on another person. Are you tracking with this idea? It's massive. I, was t- I told like three people this morning, I'm like, I thought I understood mercy. I told you this morning, I thought I understood mercy. It's so much more. Now, uh, I think it's important for us to talk about something, though, in light of mercy. I think we've got to talk about mercy fatigue for, for, for just a moment, okay? Because it's a very real thing. And I think the, the fear even of mercy fatigue causes people to not practice mercy. <clears throat> and why is that? It's because there's no shortage of brokenness in the world. Like, there's no shortage. This means that there's like this never-ending amount of opportunities for mercy. Like, just in our community, let alone the world. And... Like we have a news feed that will in, in a split second show you a list of thousands and thousands of examples of brokenness and needs of mercy. We have more access to become aware of the brokenness around us than ever before. I think it's really important for us to understand something, friends. It's really important for us to understand and to recognize that God created you and I human He created us human. That means we have limits. (laughs) Some of you don't live with limits. You're going too hard. He created us to have limits, man. With so much opportunity for mercy all around us, how do we actually discern what to focus on? Because the list's never ending. We're supposed to be people of mercy. We want to obey God. We We want to do what he says. We want to live in his kingdom. But like, what do we do? There's so much to fo- there's so much mercy or so much opportunity for mercy. What do we focus on? Um, how many of you guys were here with us when we were last uh, last year, last September? We were going through a series called "Be Ready." Um, a handful of us, in the, yeah, most of us in the room. We were going through this series, "Be Ready," coming out of like we just started gathering back in this space a few months prior, and it was this like it was just a really unique season, not just for our church, but I think the country was in a really unique season. And we talked about how. The past couple years prior to that was traumatic for every man, woman, and child. Like, not just in our church, but in the world. They experienced a significant amount of trauma with all the things that 2020 and 2021 were. And it was hard. And what we talked about was that there was, we really felt led by the Spirit of God that there was going to be so many opportunities inside of our church and outside of our church to provide love and care for people in their time of need as, as the trauma is catching up with all of us. You can only run from it for so long. You can only try to like escape for so long and numb yourself so long. The brokenness catches up with you. And we talked about these opportunities inside and outside the church to provide love and care. And the question we asked was like, in light of all this, are we as a church, are we gonna be ready when the opportunities come our way. And we talked about how every single Christian has a calling. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have a calling. And we talked about this idea, this has been a big thing in my life, a big revelatory thing in my life, how God, he doesn't primarily call us to a place. He doesn't primarily call us to a task or, or, or even a role. God primarily calls us first and foremost to himself, and to people. Your primary calling in life as a Christian is to God and to people. The place, the role, 
all the ta- all that's secondary to the people. You with me? You guys remember this? We talked about this? Great. And we also talked about how every single Christian is called to ministry. It's not just a pastoral thing. Like ministry is something that every Christian is called to. There's no such thing as a Christian who does not minister to other people. It's happening all the time. Every, every Christian is a full-time minister. Maybe not vocationally, but in, in practice. And I want to revisit this really quickly because I think it's going to be helpful with, for us in this conversation around mercy. Biblical mercy. Uh, Dave, will you throw up that area of ministry slide? It's the one that looks like a bullseye. Do you guys remember this? Some of you guys? Yes, okay, great. I'm going to walk through this because I think it's going to be helpful in our understanding of mercy. All right? In the the middle there, in in the bullseye, you have your core calling. Right? This is the area of ministry for the Christian. So um, if, you, if you're in here and you're like, hey, you know what? Um, I'm hip to Jesus, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say like I'm a Christian. That's totally cool. You get a behind the curtains look at what area of ministry looks like for the Christians uh, in and around, or around you. Court calling for the Christian. First and foremost, God, right? We're called to God himself to, to enjoy him, to obey him, like to know him intimately, to live life with him. John 15 language, to abide in the vine, to remain with him, to stay with him. Intimacy, closeness, right? Core calling, we're called to God. Uh, another aspect of our core, core calling is we're call, you're called to your spirit-filled self, right? We, we just mentioned about how Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. This isn't like an excuse to gratify the desires of your flesh. No, it's your spirit-filled self, it's your own health and well-being. You're, you're called to yourself. It's part of your core calling to steward that with which you were given, life, body, mind, soul, all the things, right? And, and, and we know this is like, this makes a lot of sense. If you've ever flown on an airplane, right, before they take off, the, you know, the flight attendant gets up there and does the whole spiel and says, okay, in case of emergency, the oxygen mask is going to fall from the ceiling. Whatever you do, you make sure you put yours on first because if you try to put somebody else's on first and you pass out from lack of oxygen, you're not going to be any help to anybody else around you. Put your oxygen mask on first. That's what we're talking about here, right? You're called to yourself. Now, a part, another part of your, your core calling, and this is kind of where it varies slightly person to person, this, um, this could be your spouse if you're, if you're married, right? Part of your core calling. This could be your children if you're a parent. This could, be, uh, this could also include other, <clears throat> excuse me, other close biological family, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, etc. It's kind of person by person, case by case. That's your core calling. It's the center of this diagram. The next ring, you can see it, church family. <clears throat> Church family. So this is not every Christian in the world. This is, this is not every Christian in the world. This is the people and the pastors you follow Jesus with. This, these are your brothers and your sisters in the family of God. Uh, those of you in your gospel community, or those of you in gospel communities, that, this is your gospel community. And then the next ring, the darker green ring there, that's third spaces. So what third spaces are, are third spaces are environments that you frequent often. Okay? Now remember, this is about people before it's about places, right? Our primary calling, God and people. So these are people that you regularly come in contact with. So this would be like close friends. This would be coworkers, uh, classmates at school, uh, your neighbors. 
If you're, if you're um, kids are on sports teams or a youth, you're on a sports team, this would be like the people on your youth sports team or the parents on your youth sports team. Or if you're like hardcore about your gym, like these are the people you work out with. You guys are tracking me. You know what your third spaces are, right? You get this idea? Okay, great. It's the people that occupy those spaces. And then finally, lastly, you have the outer ring. That's everything else. It's literally everything else. Remember, this diagram, it's an illustration of a Christian's calling. And more specifically, who they're called to minister to. You with me? These rings, the cool thing is they include both Christians and non-Christians. And for whatever reason, I feel like, maybe it's just the California thing, but like Western Christians tend to like isolate themselves in this little bubble. It's like that's not the way God called us to live. <clears throat> it includes Christians and non-Christians. And don't just think adults. This isn't just adults either. Children and youth are a massive, huge part of all of our callings, friends, whether or not they're your biological child. We're in this together. A mentor uh, who's had a, a fairly large impact on my life, he shared something with me that, that was massive. It, it, it really helped me in a big way. And he said this, he said, build your life around prioritizing these callings from the inside out. He goes, devote yourself to your core callings. Devote yourself to God. Devote yourself to your health. Devote yourself to your marriage, to your family. He goes, and, he goes, and then devote yourself to your church family. Give yourself to them. And then he goes, and be generous in giving yourself to your third spaces. But, he said, he goes, but beware of the outer ring. He goes, beware of the outer ring. Because when we reach outside of the primary area of ministry God has called us to, we can quickly overextend ourselves. Some people refer to this as the savior complex. <laughs> we can quickly overextend ourselves. Pastors are notorious for doing this. I'm arguably more guilty than anybody in the room of this. And here's the thing. When we overextend ourselves... Not only can it be dangerous for our own health, we're not putting our oxygen mask on, which means we're actually not going to be as good as caring for others as we think we would be. Not only can it be dangerous for our own health, but the primary rings we're called to, they suffer as a result. It's this for that. You with me? Because we're humans and we have limits. The classic saying goes, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And busy is just another word for overextended, is it not? So a couple quick recommendations for you. If you want to avoid mercy fatigue, I have two recommendations. Beware of the outer ring and let the Spirit of God guide you. Submit to him. Look to him for leadership. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. Oftentimes, God will highlight people and issues he wants to bring into your area of ministry that isn't currently there. Uh, many of, uh, I mean, a handful of us in the community, you guys have been pursuing foster care and adoption. What an incredible, amazing act of renewal. What a beautiful, amazing thing. God leading you, his spirit leading you to incorporate 
people, specific kids into your area of ministry where they weren't there prior. That's beautiful. That's an example of I'm letting the spirit of God guide me in this. You tracking with me? I think maybe the most profound experience I ever had with this in my own personal life was I remember, this is like over a decade ago, I remember sitting on my couch and like something came on. It was like a YouTube video or it was just something silly that I wasn't even actually trying to engage in. And it catalyzed me going down the rabbit hole of children in Africa and, and the level of poverty there. And I remember sitting on my couch and going like, this isn't like they made a bad choice or an unwise decision. They were literally born into poverty. Like they don't have clean water. They can't eat, they can't feed themselves. And their parents aren't like irresponsible. They were just born into poverty. (laughs) And I literally remember, guys, I don't want to exaggerate this. I remember, do you remember this? I remember sitting on the couch just weeping, like overcome. Like, like, like if you have to give your scale of when you cry hard, it was like as, as hard as I can cry. And it came out of nowhere. And it was the beginning of our family's journey with an organization called Compassion International. I mean, if you guys know Compassion International, they, they basically help sponsor kids all over the world and provide them um, food, their basic needs, food, water, and they actually do a ton of gospel work and get them connected to churches. It's a beautiful thing. This isn't like a, a ploy to get you to partner with compassion or anything, but I'm using that as an example of like, that's an example of like, I'm operating in my area of ministry. I'm a pastor at the time. I'm operating in my area of ministry and the spirit guides me to install, to bring a, 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 a human being into my area of ministry who wasn't there before. You with me? Cause I don't, what I don't want you to hear is I don't want you to hear me say, let's be Christians who isolate ourselves and not be open to the outside world, the outside world. No, no, no. We're incarnational people. We have to live that way. But if we're not careful, we will overextend ourselves and we won't live the life that God created us to live. We'll have a ton of mercy fatigue because there's so much brokenness all around us. You tracking with me? Yeah? Okay. So just make sure as you're pressing into the spirit to let him guide you, make sure God's the one that's leading the way or else you run the risk of your core calling calling suffering at the expense of the outer ring. And I'll be honest, I see this happen far too often. It it, it usually negatively affects kids more than anything else. Uh, Pastors' kids have the reputation that they have for a reason. They they, they get frustrated with the church because mommy and daddy, um, they're more concerned and available to the outer ring than they are to them. And then they're like, "I, I don't want anything to do with this. This is like a classic thing. I don't know if you guys know, this is a classic thing in pastors' homes. I don't want that. Here's the thing. It's not just limited to pastors. I've counseled many people who sacrificed their kid on the altar of their career or their entertainment or their comfort or whatever, right? Like all of us, it's not just a pastoral thing. We all all have to be careful here, okay? Christians are called to mercy. Like we are called by God to mercy, And in order to avoid mercy fatigue, because of all the brokenness and all the opportunities, beware of the outer ring and let the Spirit of God guide you, okay? The next thing that's important for us to know about mercy is that mercy accelerates forgiveness. Anybody ever ridden in a Tesla before? Raise your hand. I want to see. I got to get a pulse. Have you ridden in a Tesla? Okay. Have you felt the roller coaster thing? 
there's YouTube videos of this. There's, they're online. There's like, the thing about electric cars and specifically Teslas is that they have like a level of torque. Uh, they can accelerate because of their electric motors. They can accelerate really, really fast. Like it's crazy. It's different. So much so that there's videos online of people that are doing it and they're sitting in the passenger seat and they've never done it before. And they just push on the gas they gun it and they go, ah, they have like that, that look on their face. Like I wasn't expecting that amount of, uh, I guess what would it be like G-force, if you will? Yes. <clears throat> those electric cars, those Teslas, they accelerate at a much higher rate of speed. Hear me. Mercy. Mercy is like giving your forgiveness motor electric power. Okay. When somebody offends you, when someone frustrates you, or even when someone sins against you, and you practice mercy, like you put on the other person, you know what suddenly starts to happen? Suddenly compassion starts to increase inside of you. Compassion for them. And the next thing you know, you are moving towards forgiveness at a much higher rate of speed. Let me read you a quote. One theologian says this. I think I have a slide for this one, Dave. Uh, It says this, quote, mercy makes forgiveness and tolerance so much easier. There is one principle in life which we often forget. Listen to this. There is always a reason why people think and act as they do. And if we knew that reason, it would be so much easier to understand and to sympathize and to forgive. If someone thinks, as we see it mistakenly, that person may have come through experiences and may have a heritage which has shaped that way of thinking. If someone is irritable and discourteous, that person may be worried or in pain. If someone treats us badly, it may be because there is some idea in that person's mind which is quite mistaken, end quote. There's always a reason that people think and act the way that they do. I've mentioned this before. My first kind of real tax-paying job, uh, I was 17 years old, and I worked at a pizza restaurant. I worked for Brandon and Jill. Uh, I think Brandon's probably around here somewhere. I thought I saw them this morning. But I, I worked for them as like a, 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 a young man. <clears throat> and the thing about a pizza restaurant is the focal point of that restaurant is the pizza oven. If you don't have the pizza oven, you don't have pizza. If you don't have pizza, you don't have a pizza restaurant, okay? So everything would happen through that oven. It was multi-layered. It was the whole thing. If you've, if you've seen a pizza oven before, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it has like this conveyor belt that goes through it. You turn the conveyor belt on, And then what you do is you dial in the oven to a certain temperature. And the goal with the pizza oven is to dial the temperature right so that when you put the pizza on one end, by the time it makes its way all the way through the other end and it goes through all the heat of the oven, that it's not undercooked. But you also want to dial it in so that it's not overcooked. So it's not burned, right? A pizza oven's a whole lot like life. It is a whole lot like life. We all go through it at varying speeds and varying temperatures. And hear me, sometimes, oftentimes we get burned. We get burned. And here's the thing about burned food. Burned food is really unpleasant to the taste, right? It leaves a bad taste in your mouth, right? So do burned people. So do burned people. There's always a reason why people think and act the way that they do. 
Friends, mercy, what it does is it accelerates forgiveness. Putting on someone else, it accelerates forgiveness. Not because it it brushes the offense under the rug, you know, but because you begin to consider that person's burn marks. Pastorally, in love, in humility, I'm going to ask you a question that I ask myself. Frankly, I should say it this way. I'm going to ask you a question the Spirit of God asked me multiple times this week. Are you bitter with anyone? Like, are you bitter towards anyone today? Is there, I don't know, is there unforgiveness present in your life? Here's how you know. If you're like, oh, I don't think so. Here's how you know, okay? Is there anyone specific in your life that you're avoiding? Is there anyone who, like, when you think about them, those thoughts are kind of mostly negative? If so, there's a good chance you're bitter. There's a good chance that you're living with unforgiveness. If that's you today, can I just encourage you? Can I encourage you with what the Spirit of God encouraged me with? Can I encourage you with this? Give mercy a shot. Give mercy a shot. See if that doesn't accelerate you towards forgiveness, like a Tesla. For you uh, married couples in the room, imagine with me for a second. Imagine if practicing mercy was a daily occurrence in your marriage where you put the other person on. I tried this this week, like I shared with you, both the positive and the negative with Ebony. It was a game changer. Absolute game changer. Because typically, I'm so concerned with me that whatever she does, if it doesn't make my life easier, better, more comfortable, etc., 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 she's the problem. <laughs> but then when I begin to consider her, and not just consider her, but put her on, oh, dude, there's no room for bitterness. There's no room for unforgiveness. She's had lasers shot into her eyeballs. Like, <laughs> so much more compassion, so much quicker to forgive her when I am irritated or offended. And guys, this is not just like a marriage thing. <laughs> Hear me. What if you practiced mercy with your family members? What if you practiced mercy with your coworkers? What if you practice mercy with your roommates? What if you practice mercy with your area of ministry? Here's a good one. What if you practiced mercy with the people who annoy you the most? They might even be in this room. You guys can go ahead and look around and start to see. No, I'm kidding. Here's what I bet would happen if you did this. I bet what would happen is that you would have much less room for bitterness and unforgiveness in your life. Why? Because mercy accelerates forgiveness. Now, this beatitude, it teaches us something else about mercy that I think is really important quickly uh, before I close. It's this. Mercy is reciprocal. Mercy is reciprocal. Look back at verse 7. Look back at our beatitude. 
Blessed are the merciful, for who? They will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, okay? It's those who show this kind of mercy, this chased, that will receive it. Now, this is not a karma thing, okay? Karma's different. What this, is, this is one of many examples in the scriptures of the biblical principle of sowing and reaping, okay? What you, the biblical principle of sowing and reaping is some, it's simple. <laughs> what you sow, you will reap, okay? So track with me. If you sow apple seeds into the ground, you're going to get an apple tree that will produce what? You guys get it. Brilliant. What you sow, you will reap. That's what we're talking about here, okay? If you sow mercy, it's mercy that you will reap. Let me read you another quote here from somebody smarter than me. Quote, the disciple is a follower of Christ because he has been called and accepted by God. Having thus, listen to this, having thus received mercy, he becomes in turn a channel to convey mercy to others. One who truly understands the freedom of being forgiven will share the same release with others. On the other hand, one who refuses to forgive, listen to this, breaks down the bridge over which he himself would pass. End quote. Mercy is reciprocal because what you sow, you will reap. Friends, do you realize what this means? <laughs> this is massive. Do you realize this beatitude means that your life and my life is intrinsically tied to the lives of others? When I say intrinsically tied, I'm talking about it's, it's an essential and natural way. It's intrinsically tied to others. In other words, what you do or don't do has massive implications on the people around you. I'm going to say that again. What you do, we get that one. And what you don't do has massive implications on the people around you. And others, what other people do and don't do has massive implications on you. Whether we like it or not. It's part of what it means to be a human made in the image of God, friends. This isn't arbitrary. God created us to operate this way. Because he operates this way. We were made in his image. Who is God? God is one God made of three persons. Three persons intrinsically tied to each other for eternity. One God, three persons. We're made in his image. To reject or avoid mercy is to reject a core aspect of being human. Because to be human is to be intrinsically tied to other humans. That's why, the, that's why the Bible uses the body as a metaphor for the church, right? We talk about this often. It uses that metaphor for a reason. Because hear me, stay with me. When you're absent, I'm talking to Christians for just a second. When you're absent, or even when you're present but you're not participating, or when you're, like when you live with unrepentant sin. It doesn't just affect your life. It affects everything and everyone around you. 
This beatitude, it means that your life has a direct impact on the lives of other people for better or for worse. Do you realize how incredibly important and valuable you are? This is not a condemning piece. I can see the room and it's heavy. You're incredibly valuable and important. Without you, it's not the same. There's so much purpose on your life. Hear me, everybody in the room, give me your eyes. You are not insignificant. That's a lie from the pit of hell to throw you off of the life that God created you to live with purpose and integrity. Mercy is reciprocal. Those who experience forgiveness express forgiveness. Those who experience mercy express mercy. All right. Uh, I'm going to call the band up. I'm going to close with this. I'm almost done. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't, uh, if you leave with anything, I need you to leave with the reality of how important and valuable you are as a human being created in the image of God. Because that truth right there is being assaulted, like you're being assaulted to not believe that every day of your life. What defines you is what people think about you. What defines you is your sinful past. What defines you is all sorts of things instead of what God says is true. All right, the thing I want to close with is what does this beatitude teach us about the kingdom of God? It's the final thing. We're almost done. You guys with me? You okay? All right. What does this beatitude teach us about the kingdom of God? A lot, actually. Uh, I have more here that I want to talk about, but because of the sake of time, I'm, going to, I'm just going to share one thing with you. And the one thing I'm going to share with you is the most important thing. Okay? This beatitude teaches us that the king is merciful. The kingdom of God has a king and he's merciful. Think about this. If chased, if mercy is putting on the person, is that not exactly what God did for us in Jesus Christ? God literally putting on flesh, identifying with humanity, with you, with me, in our brokenness and in suffering on behalf of our sin. The king is merciful. Friends, the supreme instance of chesed, of mercy, is the coming of God in Jesus Christ. It's the literal embodiment of mercy. The king of the universe, the, the king of the kingdom of heaven, you could say he is mercy. He's the manifestation of mercy to you and to me. Hear me. I pray that this comforts you this morning. You know what this means? It means he identifies with your struggles. All of them. He's not distant going like, figure it out and then come talk to me. He's like, I know exactly what that feels like. It's hard. He feels what you feel. How crazy is that? He feels what you feel. It's his mercy for you. 
And that mercy, what does it do? It accelerates forgiveness, right? It's his mercy that, pardon the pun, drove him to the cross. Because it's something that you couldn't accomplish. The cross, where he was forsaken so that I could be forgiven. The kingdom of God is filled with the giving and the receiving of mercy. I've got to ask you, friend, do you know the mercy of Jesus for you today? Do you know the mercy of Jesus for you today? It's available to you every moment of your life. And here's the thing. Maybe this is brand new to you. If that's you, I just beg you to receive it. Just receive Jesus' mercy. It's available to you. Okay, and maybe you're just in a season where maybe you've forgotten about the mercy of God. Same thing goes for you. I just beg you to receive it. It's a free gift. It's glorious. It's the best news ever. Can we just be real? Nothing's better than this. Nothing even comes close. One more thing for you. I can't help myself. Listen, God didn't just stop at mercy. Mercy is the incarnation. It's the putting on, right? He put on flesh. He didn't stop with mercy. He went even further. He went even further. He went to the cross. That's grace. That's getting what you don't deserve. There's nobody like Jesus. There's no love for you in the entire universe like the love of Jesus for you. Do you see it? Do you taste it? Don't you want it? Don't you want it? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's stand together, huh? Let me pray for us. Spirit, we invite you to have your way in us right now. I love that your word describes you as being rich in mercy, Father. Rich in mercy. That means you have more mercy than we could ever ever spend in a lifetime. You feel what we feel. You see things how we see things. Like you have compassion on us and you don't just stop with being merciful towards us. You're gracious and we know you are because of the cross. So Holy Spirit, would you teach us more this morning about your passionate love for us, about your mercy and your grace and how you've pursued us. And I pray that for every single person in the room, it would literally result in freedom. No more condemnation, no more shame, no more guilt washed clean in the blood of Jesus. I pray for joy and celebration. Make us a merciful people by first and foremost receiving your mercy from you directly and then being conduits, distributors of that mercy to the people around us. I wanna be, I wanna be rich in mercy like you are, Jesus, because you've been so kind to me. You've been so good to me. I just wanna praise you. I honor you. I bless you. There's nobody like you. Have your way. We want your kingdom. We want your rule, your reign, your way. We want freedom from the bondage of ungodly kingdoms. This isn't a game. This is eternal souls hanging in the balance. 
Jesus, have your way. Holy Spirit, I pray that this morning people would literally experience salvation because of your mercy, not because of any preach or any song. This isn't a gimmick. Freedom in the name of Jesus, I pray. The receiving of mercy and grace, I pray in the name of Jesus for every single one of us and especially for our kids. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for being kind and gracious and merciful always. Amen. Um, what we're going to do for the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, this is the most important part of our gathering. This is when we respond together. This is when we respond to the grace and the mercy of God. We praise him because he's worth it. He's worthy of our praise, our voices, our thoughts, our bodies, all of it. He's merciful and he's gracious. Um, if you're on the prayer team this morning, would you mind making your way kind of to the back of the room? There's going to be trusted men and women in the back of the room that are available for prayer whenever you'd like to go to them. If God's stirring something in your heart, I, I encourage you, if you feel like a, like a there, you, if you feel like you need to take a next step, like I, I, that's God trying to shepherd you. It's him trying to father you. It's him trying to lead you and guide you into freedom. That's what these trusted men and women are for. Okay, you can go to them anytime. The band's gonna lead us. And then in about 15 or so minutes, uh, Herrick's gonna come up and pastor us and close our gathering. Okay, guys? Thanks for being patient with me. Thanks for letting me preach a little bit long. This is something that is like grabbing a hold of my heart. And I believe it's God's desire, not just for me, but for our church. All right, I love you very much. Enjoy him. Jesus, I wanna thank you for showing us what true mercy is. Father, I wanna thank you for sending your son. Spirit, I want to thank you for dwelling us and for being the continual presence of Jesus in our lives and in our midst. I want to thank you that you understand the human condition. You identified with us in it. But I thank you that you conquered by rising from the dead. So that those things that would otherwise weigh us down or destroy us don't need to anymore. Because they destroyed you on the cross. And now we can walk free. People who have received mercy and people who can give mercy to others. We love you, Father, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to close this out. The great philosopher Forrest Gump once said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But I say to him, that Tom Loke said, life is like a pizza oven. You never know who it's going to burn. I just want to take a moment just to honor you. That was a beautiful preach. This man was working very hard all week. And yesterday he, um, he led a training at Restored LA, which is exhausting. Investing in multiple communities. So I just want to take a minute just to honor you. So here's, here's some thoughts I had. I wrote down many things. I'm going to try to keep this really brief. Uh, I went to London uh, several years ago, and if you go into the tube in London, the public transport, there's a sign that you're going to see everywhere. Does anybody know what that sign is? Mind the gap. Mind the gap. Because if you don't, what happens? 
you could fall into it, right? It's no good. I think today, one of the things that I want to I encourage you to hold on to is mind the burn. Mind the burn. If life is like a pizza oven, people are going to have burns. And I think we have an opportunity to be mindful as a community of each other's burns. I want to encourage you to hold on to that this week. Mind the burn. As you, as you interact with people, as you think about your relationships. I just want to ask a quick question. How do we respond to this message beyond just minding the burn? I think one of the things that's very clear to me is that we need to experience mercy before we can show it. We can't give something that we don't have. So how do you need to experience his mercy today? You individually. This is a response time. Maybe you actually have burns that you need tending to. Maybe there's people in your life that weren't what you needed them to be. A parent, a spouse, whoever, and you got burnt. Maybe there's things that were said or done to you that you carry. Hard things, difficult things, painful things, maybe even shameful things. Burns. Maybe you bear the weight of your own failures and missteps and the consequences of those things. Maybe burns. You might, be, you might feel burned because of the expectations that other people put on you that you could never bear. So I just want to encourage you, if you have burns today, like you can actually go to him. We have a great physician who's actually very skilled at dealing with burns. Go to him in prayer. There's trusted people in the back who are ready to pray for you that would love the opportunity to care for you and to minister to you who have the spirit of Jesus in them. Maybe for you, it's not burns. Maybe you're not here, like you're not carrying burns necessarily, or maybe that's not a big part of your story. Maybe you just need to experience his love in a different way. Maybe you're not carrying wounds per se, but you just feel like, I don't know who I am. Maybe there's something that's broken in your life, a relationship, a a career that's not going the way you want it to. Maybe there's like a group of people that you want to be in with, that you're on the outside and you just don't know who you are. You don't know where you belong. Or maybe you're carrying the rejection or insecurity from life, from people, from relationships. If that's you, I got good news for you. He has mercy on you. He knows what it's like to be on the outside. He knows what it's like to experience rejection. And he is for you. Go get prayer. For others of you, it might honestly just be You've maybe, have you ever asked Jesus to actually forgive you? Have you ever brought something to him that you need him to carry? He carried our burdens on the cross. Maybe there's burdens that you need to give to him. Maybe it's the burden of your own sin, but it might not be that. Maybe it's the consequence of someone else's sin towards you. He is merciful to you. What is it for you? You might need to go get prayer. You might need to go pray for someone. There might be somebody that God has put on your heart today that you might need to go pray for. There might be conversations with people in this room that you need to have because you know that there's things that are broken that need to be mended. There's mercy that is awaiting you, opportunity to show mercy. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to go get it, get after it. We have a few minutes left. We've got five minutes. I want to encourage you to take the time to do something with it. And maybe for you, you just need to go because you're hungry. That's totally cool too. So I'm going to pray and close this out. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you're a merciful God. 
and that you know what life is like for us and that you entered into this life in the person of Jesus to bring freedom, to bring joy, to bring forgiveness, life, and life eternal. I pray that we would experience more of your kingdom today, even now as we respond. We love you. We thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we've got a few minutes left. If you have kids at 12 o'clock in about five minutes, we ask you to please go grab them. In the meantime, enjoy. And we'll be up here if you want to chat. Soft close.